When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Do you believe in miracles? Got Fizzle in the house. Fizzle, what's good, man? Fizzle, glad to have you here. Let's go. This the South Harmon Podcast. Glad you here today. Hit that Patreon link if you here to stay. Dynasty best ball, that's my favorite way. 40 chess trade show. Let's make a trade today or check the AMA. You know Adam at the ATM. Mike always in the building. He gonna stay with him. They gon' start every show off with their own trade Fantasy's a big ocean, they made their own wave Make sure you tapping in Tuesdays and Saturdays Tuesday night, Saturday morning, ain't no better way Hit that notification bell when the news break Go subscribe right now, don't get the news late Destination Devi, that's the team Dynasty football, man, that's my favorite thing I remember Biggie said it was all a dream Now people watching on their phone and computer screens. Welcome to the team. Let's start the show. Start the show. Welcome back in, everybody, to another episode of the 40 Chess Dynasty Football Podcast. You're hearing my voice again, so you know you know that Mike's not here. Uh, Mike is off still. He's not in a foreign country. He's back homeland here in the States, but he's still gallivanting, getting himself ready to come back for the draft and come back strong. But the best part is that while he's out, we have a guest. And the guest is someone you should know very well. Destination Devi guy, somebody that's a dynasty sharp, uh, great mind in the community. I'm watching him step his game up. As a matter of fact, if you're tuned into the Destination Debbie feed, you've noticed his new podcast. JB is on with the 40 Chess Dynasty Football Co- Podcast. And JB, how you doing tonight, man? What up, what up, what up? I am excited to be here. I know I'm not as energetic as Mike normally is, but, you know, I'll, I'll do my best. I am excited to be here. Can't wait to get talking. Let's go, man. Let's go. Uh, Mike is not here. And, you know, you don't have to bring the same energy, man, because I know you got the analytics side that, uh, you know, Mike's smart. Mike is a smart guy, but he's not the JB analytics guy. So we do have JB in the house. Dynasty Degenerates, welcome him in. Uh, We're looking forward to talking about this. It does feel like this is going to be three episodes in a row in the 23 class, but do you care? And Dynasty Degenerates, if you do care, 
I would suggest you get to another feed because the 23 class is upon us. We are going to be, you're going to be listening to this on Friday. And the reality at that point is we are inside of two weeks from the NFL draft. And that's going to subsequently form your rookie draft. So JB, we're going to kind of talk about the 23 class. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on a lot of the different things. And, and also like for you anyway, how are you viewing this class right now? And, and are there pivot points or are there spots where you're like, man, I want to have this pick. I don't want to have this pick. How, how are you viewing the class from an analytical, analytical perspective? And then also, what are you doing with your dynasty teams? So I know it probably doesn't come as much surprise to a lot of people, but I, if possible, I'm pivoting off anywhere after the 107 for any random 24 first. And no. obviously I, I've, I've talked to pretty, pretty great lengths about that class and will continue to. But today, focusing on 23, like I said, the, the, the 101 to 107, I think is realistically, let's, let's just say the top few tiers. There, there's a significant drop after that. It's not that I don't like the guys at theoretically 8, 9, 10. That's probably going to end up being Addison, Zay Flowers, Quentin Johnston. I, I just, I don't, I don't like those guys as much as the first seven. You know, that's really the pivot point for me if I can get off of that for a future first. But the class as a whole, like I said, that first seven is pretty good. And you really want any of those guys. Like we got four pretty good quarterbacks. I'm not the biggest Will Levis guy, but he's going to get top 10 draft capital, which is huge. On top of that, we at least have two great running backs. And I love JSN. That All that being said, that that eight to, let's just say 15 range, it's kind of all the same for me. A lot of different running backs, a lot of different receivers in there that I really like. Not as much that top tier. And I mean, even though the, even the tight ends in this class, we got Mayer, who is a super producer at Notre Dame. Kincaid is coming back from his injury. Washington, Musgrave, Laporta, even Zach Koontz, they're just freak athletes. So those tight end premium leagues, those mid, late second rounds are going to be valuable. And obviously, we're starting to hear a lot more buzz about Hendon Hooker getting the draft capital. Sure. If he does, that that's, that's another quarterback that we can really – really kind of pencil into not necessarily a starting spot, but at least a spot that gives us some pretty good value in the second round. Yeah. I think if Hendon Hooker ends up getting first round draft capital, even if it's 30, 31, 32, um, and, and, and it's a trade, let's even say a team trades back into the first for that. I think for most, the most part, because of what you said, right? I think smart dynasty managers already are like, ah, let me pivot at a certain point. Let's even say some of these guys get landing spots and they get really high draft capital. And let's say the tier becomes more like 109. Whether that stays with Jordan Addison or it stays with Quentin Johnson or there's running backs that get pushed up or let's say Zay Flowers goes really high, whatever it is. Let's say it gets pushed back a little bit. Most managers are smart enough to like want to get out of the back end first in this class just because of the perception of a first round pick versus this class has, you know, a lot of depth in it, but not necessarily the studs in that back part. I think for me, that's what makes Hendon Hooker in a first-round draft capital for the NFL. He's going to be a first-round pick in Superflex drafts. Like, it's just going to happen. Um, now, if you can get him right now, let's say you're doing pre-NFL draft and you want to take the risk, you probably can get him in the second. But as soon as it becomes, okay, Hendon Hooker is actually, if he was to be a first-round draft pick, 
the days on him making the second round, I think, are nullified. Like the, It's like Mac Jones uh, back a few years ago, right? You might have been able to get in the second round in the pre-draft process, but once he was a first-round pick, those days were over. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. And right, right now, looking at my post-combine analytic grades for quarterback, Hendon Hooker is actually fourth in the class. So I'm not going to go too in-depth on everything right now. I'm going to save that for some who's of the next? future who, who's next episodes coming up in the next few weeks. But sure. he is fourth on the list right here. And the guys ahead of him, there's only one that's kind of iffy here or there. But he's in some pretty good company at, at, at four right there. Yeah, and I think uh, obviously because of the the way the quarterback landscape is in Dynasty and especially when we get to Superflex, I know JB plays a lot of one QB, but in Superflex, uh, JB, we, we know that Hen Hooker is going to get pushed up the board. But it does bring me to some other points I'm curious your thoughts on because we've talked about this at length here on this podcast, but I, I am curious your perspective here. So l- l- let's say that Hen Hooker, regardless, he's going to end up being, you know, 110-ish or whatever if he's a first-round pick. And if, and if he's a day two or day three pick, uh, we're, we're talking totally differently, right? But but let's say for a second here, JB, that regardless of that, we get past him. We're talking, you know, 111, 112, 201, all the way to, you know, I forget what you said. I think pick 15, which is about 203. In that range here for us, for you, who are some of the players here that you're more excited about? Who from an analytical perspective offers more upside than, say, some of the guys going in the later part of the second round? And, and and are there guys here for you that let's say you had the 108, 109 and you found a trade partner that would let you go back to say 202, 203. Is that something you're willing to do because of guys that you think you can target in that range? Or is it just kind of how it falls for you in, in, in subsequent order? You know, there's, there's really one guy that's, I, sh- I should say one specific guy that I've loved ever since his sophomore year. And he grades out, incredibly analytical for me. He's the second overall receiver with my pre-draft grades. And that's North Carolina's Josh Downs. I know, I know he's only 5'9", 171, but he's incredible. His his production profile is nearly unmatched by anybody in this class. And I don't really know. I, I, I'm, I'm really thinking probably round two NFL draft capital, and that'll probably lead him to early second, maybe mid-second if you're lucky, but I think he'll be in that kind of second-tier receivers. Right now, I have him as my third receiver in this class overall. That's just behind JSN and Addison. But if there's an opportunity for me to even package up a, a mid and a late second to go get Josh Downs in the early second, I I, I, I don't think I can pass that up. Interesting. Okay. Um so, so let me ask you this, like Zay Flowers and Josh Downs right now, I think are very close for people, um, for people that just know names and know values. The difference of those two for you then, because you, you, you did single out Josh Downs, which obviously people, it's almost like Bateman, uh, to a degree of lesser height and weight, right? Like we were hoping for this, you know, big size. And then we got this, uh, not nearly as big a size, not nearly as big as weight, um, so we're kind of worried about that. I, I do think the, the landscape, though, for receiver has shifted a lot. Uh, not saying that Josh Downs will ever project to be an alpha, but that the receiver that we look for, right? And I think this is one of the pieces that gets missed is 
we, we kind of all search or I think people really put a lot of weight into, let me go chase this next DK, this next AJ Brown, right? I think George Pickens to a, to a degree gets pushed up because of uh, the size and the speed and all the things he, he possesses. But the reality is when you look at the receiver position as a whole and what the NFL, who who's good in dynasty and who's good in the NFL, most of them aren't this, you know, massive freak. So like not obviously like Devontae Smith, right? Uh, the size thing with him was very polarizing for two years. He had to fight off all the narratives, yeah, him being a senior, you know, uh, AJ Brown getting traded, uh, Philly's offense, not having enough volume in the passing game, but he pushed that away for two years to prove that he's still a top 10 dynasty receiver. So I, I think those are things I wanted to mention about like not being too overly scared for people that are about Josh Downs, because that's what the NFL values. Now guys that can separate guys that are small, that are, that are good and shifty. If you're a good receiver, you don't have to be north of anything that Josh Downs is. But the differences um, between Zay Flowers and Josh Downs for you? You know, I I guess I'm just assuming that Zay Flowers is probably going to be a mid-late first-round NFL draft pick, which will vault him into, if he's not already there, the late first round of our rookie drafts. So I think Josh Downs, you can get at a little bit more of a value. And like you said, with his size, he's not going to be the outside alpha that we really want or anything like that, but he's going to soak up a ton of targets over the middle. I mean, he was doing that the last two years with different quarterbacks from North Carolina and just putting up ridiculous production numbers. So the guy gets open. I know Ray loves him. He watched him on the film grades and they checked out there the analytics. Like I said, check out for me. He gets open, he catches the ball, he 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 gets yards and he gets touchdowns. Like he's he's going to be a great. I don't, I don't want to say wide receiver one because I don't think that's realistic for him. But if you're getting a solid back-end wide receiver two that probably putting up anywhere between 10, 11, 12 points for you on a weekly basis in PBR, yeah, sign me up for if I can get that in the early second. Yes, absolutely. I respect that. Um, and, and I guess uh, also on this point, JB, I think we have to acknowledge too – one of the big differences in this class and last year, there's a lot of things, right? Perception-wise, 22 was viewed as horrible. And then the quarterback collapse happened during the draft. Uh, people that thought, whether it was Malik Willis or all these guys, Matt Corral, were going to go high. None of them went high. Kenny Pickett was the only first-round guy. And then also the running back class was weak. So it, 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 for a lot of people, were like, oh, this is just receivers, right? Just receivers, nothing that we care about all of a sudden the receiver push is as high as it's ever been. And people like a lot of these prospects that are from the 22 class. The 23 class does not possess, um, at least in my opinion, I think for the community as a whole, the receiver depth and the amount of players that are as good as 22 was. So for you, JB, in the cutoff of the receiver range, obviously we love JSN. and I, I think you do too, but curious your thoughts there. I think there's a tear break for me. And I think Dynasty Degenerates, this is something to form your minds around, right? So if you think about JSN, I think because of his value insulation, how the community values him, and also his ability to go north of where he's valued today because of landing spot, if he plays well, he's in his own tier, personally for me, tier one, right? And then you go tier two. Um, 
you can talk about a lot of different guys, whether it's Addison, whether it's Quentin Johnson, Zay Flowers, Josh Downs. But I think what's interesting and what I'm curious for you, JB, from an analytical perspective and just your thoughts in Dynasty as a whole, where, where does the cutoff of scary territory end for you and for Dynasty in this class? Like, does that include Rasheed Rice? Does that include Marvin Mims? Um, are you not really looking for those guys in certain leagues where we're starting shallow teams, like a, a lineup start nine or start ten? Um, curious your thoughts as we break down the receiving room of the 23 class because I think the receivers as a whole is very high for people in Dynasty. But when we look at this and we think about it, are you smart to just keep chasing receiver when the prospects aren't necessarily the same as they've been in years past? So, so first want to just agree with you there, JSN. He is in, his, in a tier of his own for me as well. Only tier one receiver I have. And then I only have one receiver in my tier two as well. And that's Jordan Addison. I think analytically and on the film, he, he is an incredible receiver. He's actually my number one receiver in my analytics grades so far this year for pre-draft. So for me, he's he's in a tier of his own in the second tier. And then I have five, yeah, five receivers in my tier three, starting with Downs, Flowers, Quinton Johnson, Hyatt, and Mims. After that, you name some of them, Rasheed Rice, Cedric Tillman, Nate Dell. I mean, I don't even want to get to Boutte, unfortunately. He was a guy I loved, and I, I just don't think it's going to work out for him now. But after those first seven, I, I'm, I'm, it's getting pretty scary there. And, and Rasheed Rice, Tillman, I, I really like Parker Washington. He graded out pretty well for me in the analytics part of things. But, I mean, I have, I've heard no draft buzz with him. So, like I said, after those first seven – maybe eight if if another guy gets draft capital you're it's looking pretty scary yeah i think uh glad to hear you say that um because i think the reality is too because of the position and guys that wh- wh- wherever they go however they perform there will be guys in this range uh past jsn that end up elevating in dynasty stock guys that we want to have i think there's profiles here that are like Each one of them has their own different range of sketch, but there's obviously also range of outcomes where they do really well. Jalen Hyatt especially I'm interested in because if he's in the right landing spot with the right quarterback that can hit him down the field, he may have route running issues. He may not be able to separate from corners that press, but if you talk about a guy that can get downfield with that type of speed and a quarterback that can hit him in the right landing spot, all of a sudden Jalen Hyatt could be a a sought-after dynasty asset. So – I want to make sure that I'm I'm giving the upside, but I also want to make sure I caution everybody that is drafting in the 23 class. As we get further down the list of how cautionary you need to be, if you like Rasheed Rice, you like all these guys, and and, and all of them have reasons to like them, and even down to Rakeem Jarrett, all the way down there, because he is a highly touted kid that had a great freshman year, although it was in four games, and uh, the COVID breakouts we can have a different discussion for analytically, but obviously the last two years at Maryland were not good. There's a scenario where they range up and and they they progress higher, but I I, want to make sure that the risk part is understood and that none of these profiles are good enough to where if they really face plant or don't do enough early, 
that there's not a tremendous value loss in the dynasty space. So uh, I'm curious if you are in alignment with that or if there's some guys that are outliers for that specific discussion for you. No, I'm right with you. Even Hyatt is going to be, like you said, a very, very particular guy we want to keep an eye on. I think a lot of a lot of what is in my model has to do with best season metrics, which last year he did phenomenal with Hendon Hooker throwing in the ball. But his first two years at Tennessee really weren't that great. So when you're looking at the career average metrics in my model, it, it really it really hurts him. And luckily for him, at least, the best season, best season metrics are weighted more heavily. So the average ones don't bring him down too much, but it is something to keep an eye on. Okay, he really he really didn't do this for his entire career at Tennessee. It was more just a one big year that has really put him on the map. And obviously we've seen that with other guys, like recently Jameson Williams. I mean, he obviously transferred out of Ohio State, went to Alabama and had a huge year, and next thing you know he's a first-round pick. So – I get it. It happens, but Hyatt is really a guy that I want to, I want to see where he lands before I really solidify a ranking for him. That makes sense. I think, I think landing spot for him is actually more intriguing than other prospects just because I, not, not, not to say the guy can't succeed uh, in a lot of places, but if he is paired with a, a quarterback with a big arm and a high powered offense, Jalen Hyatt to me becomes a lot more interesting. Like if he landed in KC or he landed in uh, LA with the Chargers, right? Like all of a sudden the, these landing spots, I think, make him so much more intriguing. We think about Josh Palmer, right? Uh, I don't care if you like him, don't like him, whatever. Like when we talk about best ball, which we do a lot of here on 40 Chess, you don't have to like him. But being attached to Herbert gives him spike upside. So that's where Jalen Hyde, I think, for me, becomes a lot more interesting in where he lands, what the team is, who the quarterback is. Um, and, and, and truthfully, a lot of these these receivers are that way. Um, let, let's switch gears, though, here, JB, because I'm kind of curious your thoughts. We talk about 24, right? Um, Brock Bowers is a guy, for me anyway, that is different. Like, he's so different than anybody in this class. He is a guy that I think for dynasty value – and the way people think about him and what he can give somebody in their dynasty team different than anyone here. But this is a class, I think in 23, that's super deep. And we talk about, you know, Michael Mayer, obviously at the top, but Dalton Kincaid. I mean, we can go on and on and on. Uh, you know, one guy didn't, I don't think I heard you mention Tucker Craft uh, out of South Dakota state. So kind of curious your thoughts here, JB on, on this tight end class in given what we know about it, uh, not necessarily having the Brock Bowers upside, but seeing how many guys that are, have gone very high and valued very highly, we love their traits that don't pan out in the NFL level and for dynasty teams. What is your thoughts on this 23 class at tight end? I think you hit the nail on the head there. I don't think there is a solidified tight end one, nor is there a an elite level prospect like we're going to get next year with Brock Bowers or even a Kyle Pitts a few years back. But I'm looking at some of the grades that I have here. And the way I do, the way I do this is I kind of tier them in my own vernacular or, or terminology. So I use diamond as my tier one, platinum's tier two, gold is my tier three, and then silver and bronze for four and five. So for 2023 here, 
I have four platinum, so two, or sorry, four in my tier two, and then four in my gold, which is tier three. So eight in my eight of them total in my tiers. Um, let's just say three and higher. Going back to twenty-two, there's only three in my tier three and higher, and then going back to twenty-one even further. Once again, only three. So this class really, and and I, I, the the draft capital will kind of lower that eight total for the 23 class a little bit. Obviously, guys won't get the draft capital that matches their both production and, and um, athletic profile. But at the same time, some, some of these guys might shock us. I mean, we've, we've seen some of these NFL draft heads talking about a bunch of guys getting first-round draft capital, even second or third round. And if they really get that, we're looking at – I mean, I'm looking at Sam Laporta, Zach Koontz, Tucker Kraft, like you said, Mayor Washington, Musgrave, Kincaid. I mean, that's what seven tight ends that were hopeful for pretty pretty good draft capital on top of the already crazy speed sort speed scores that we've seen from this class. I mean, we're looking at guys. The lowest one here is 103 for speed score. You got guys in the one 113, 114, 117, 123. And for those unfamiliar, those are really good scores. So I mean this is those are those are the two biggest factors into my model our speed score and draft capital. So if the draft capital really follows this speed score, we're looking at a very, very good tight end class for fantasy. Yeah, I I really like the tight end class. And, and as a guy that plays a lot of best ball, I think that partly weighs into it. Not, not saying that in lineup I wouldn't be interested, but the fact of a lot of different things, I think, with the tight end market is so interesting to me. But in best ball, right? I could land, you know, a Sam Laporta, Zach Koontz later, Will Mallory later. I, I can land so many of these tight ends later, um, third, fourth round specifically. Sometimes probably even the fifth round, depending on what the tight end premium is and how your league mates value them. But I think what's interesting to me about this is we saw last year, right? And, and I, I did some content on this. JB, I don't know if you saw it, but basically I think what was interesting last year is we saw guys that didn't even have as much excitement in the class of 23 that we have now. We go back to last year, right? We got, you know, Chig. We have um, Daniel Bellinger. We have Kate Otten. We have all, all these rookies that for a moment showed upside. But most of them, outside of uh, Greg Dolchitz, who was also a fourth-round pick, who, who when healthy came back and was – uh, actually pretty good in a points per game basis. But outside of that, these late round tight ends, I think a lot of times what happens is the position is so scarce that when we see a Bellinger score a touchdown and the Giants don't have passing weapons, we get overly excited. Chig had a great finish, but like his body work wasn't the greatest. Y- you look at a lot of these rookies, and I think sometimes because tight end takes a while to develop, when we see a rookie succeed, even on a small sample size for a week or two, um, there's a bump in value because of how shallow the position is. And that's last year, which I don't think you and I would both agree here that any was, was anywhere near as talented as 23. So, so I guess for me, what's interesting is knowing how many there are, like I kind of want to take as many shots as I can in the third round on these guys, um, especially in best ball where I could just stack five or six of them and wait for a value bump and trade them or if that doesn't come just keep you know playing their up weeks 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm totally with you there. And it's funny you mentioned um, Dulcic, Bellinger, and Chig because I'm looking at another very heavily weighted metric in my model, and I talked about this this past week with um, Eric and Scott on America's Game. But the other metric I really like, and I shouldn't even say like, I love in tight ends, is yards after catch per reception. You mentioned Dulcich, Bellinger, Chig. All those guys graded out in the top, let's just say, like scoring bucket of my model. So what I do is I categorize each metric into whether you get a score of a 9, 8, 7, 6, so far and so, far and so forth. And all, all three of those guys scored extremely high in that metric. So... I just want to really touch on that quickly, but going back to your question, yeah, I mean, if there's there are, it's somewhat of a revolving door, especially when you're looking at these guys with pretty pretty low NFL draft capital. I mean, how much how much are they really going to invest in a, a guy they got in the fourth round? You know, I mean, Bellinger we just saw got not necessarily pushed out the door, but they went out and. They went out and got Darren Waller. So, you know, I mean, if you can capitalize on and, – and, and I don't want to say create value, but capitalize on the value that has been created for you, especially in these middling tiers of tight ends, and like give me a re-roll and a plus on top of it, yeah, let, let me do that all day. Yep, okay. Glad, glad to hear you say that because I think um, – I think what's interesting though, JB, is because I think last year, right, I don't think outside like okay Trey McBride is a guy last year that people I think still want to bet on the profile and you could probably speak more to this analytically but when you get past that right I, I don't think people when they drafted these guys I'm not saying they didn't like them but they weren't expecting uh, the world out of them right so expectations were lower for some of these guys and I think what's different and interesting because of the fact that some of these 22 um, tight ends showed promise is now these guys are a lot of them are pushed way up the boards in dynasty ranks I mean uh, Chig for example is on keep trade cut I think damn near a tight end one like he's tight Jeez. end 13 or something right and, and and part of that is just the scarcity right there's just not that many good tight ends um, but but the reason I bring that up is because I think the 23 class what's weird is the expectations will be different because I think these guys are uh, not necessarily elite level. They're not Brock Bowers, right? Brock Bowers is going to have the weight of the world on his shoulders for dynasty people. But, you know, starting at Michael Mayer, Dalton Kincaid, I think this tight end class is projected and expectations are higher. So I, I am kind of more curious to see, one, if there's a willingness for most people to sell light early or what they think is light because they think they're going to get some crazy deal after they have two good weeks. Um, and, and also if managers think that there's more upside here, so they ask higher prices, they, they, they don't allow what happened last year. So, so I'm kind of curious, like it, in your mindset last year and this year, analytically, and, and some of the guys that are, you know, obviously mayor is really good, but you know, starting with, uh, you know, maybe Kincaid and down how, how they compare to 22. You know, it's, it's going to be a very interesting watch I guess for lack of a better word to see how the community treats some of these tight ends because like I just spoke about we're we're getting round one for sure I, I want to say two tight ends there 
and then another probably three to four on day two. And looking at last year, there were no round one tight ends, and there were four on day two. So I think that definitely plays into what you were saying when they kind of had that spike in production. Okay, let's let's jump them up in value, one, because they were so far down, we have to put them up, and two, because of the scarcity at the position. So it, it's going to be an interesting watch because some of these guys are going to get premium draft capital. So if they kind of disappoint right away, are they going to go down fast? Are if somebody in the fourth jumps up, like a Laporta, if he has a game or two, is he going to be the next Dulcich? I mean, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting somewhat of a case study with the tight ends this, this year because we we really haven't seen a class like this in a while. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the 23 class, JB, um, what is intriguing about it from the tight end perspective is how deep it is. And the fact that I think there's so many different guys here and in different ways. I mean, some of them are, are much better blockers and I know, uh, you know, some, some guys are worried about the the better blockers not being able to get on the field as much for the pass catching work. And all, all that is, you know, valid and fair, but I, I think there's so many different varying levels. I mean, whether it's uh, you know, Zach Koontz who is not a blocker and people basically are like, okay, we're hoping that, that progresses to a just a pass catching weapon that has the tight end designation. I, I think there's a lot of potential for these later round picks at tight end. Um, so, so I'm intrigued by that. L- let me ask you this too. When we get to the running back part of it, because we've been talking about 23 for it, it seems Year. like since dynasty content has been around uh, or has been getting really big. So, especially ever since the the freshman th- this this class was freshman right and uh specifically you know we're talking about you know Tank Bigsby we're talking about Bijan we're talking about guys that were highly touted in their freshman year and some of that's changed some of it hasn't but this this class it's it's really value is not necessarily in the high end the upside guys i mean obviously Bijan is special uh we can argue till we're blue in the face about the running back debate of the position, but the prospect of Bijan Robinson is generational. There's just no debate there, right? But after him, you know, there's questions about Jameer Gibbs and his weight, um, but he does have high end, elite level pass catching upside. Um, then you got Charbonnet not coming out right away. Uh, you have so many guys after him Kendra Miller. Uh, you know, Izzy Abanacanda doing really well in the pro day. I mean, we can go on and on and on. Tank Bigsby, um, Zach Evans, who is very polarizing. People don't think he checks out very well on film, doesn't possess the pass catching tools. Uh, you know, Sean Tucker, who now all of a sudden, like there's concern about, you know, is he going to get drafted? Um, not being able to do work with injuries. This class to me, obviously has the, the tear break, like you said, in the top seven. But to me, I think where the value really lies is the fact that this class has so much depth. So when you get into the second round, you get into the third rounds, you're shooting on shots that are far more north than we've seen in classes past. I think that's something that I want to make sure we highlight. I'm sure I have before on this podcast, but kind of curious your thoughts here. When we get to the running back position, JB, are are there tiers? Are there layers? Um, are, Are there guys that you're saying we should have a tier break here where I think the community might see them both as similar assets. I'm kind of curious the running back side for you. Cause I know you have a lot of analytics to break down. 
Yeah, definitely. I think the, I shouldn't say, I think I know the value in this class is running backs and we can go through another exercise like it did with the tight ends and kind of categorizing how many of each one of my tiers are in classes. So I'll, I'll start the other way. So in 2020, and, and for running backs, I even go out to silver that I include in kind of my grouping here because like like Scott and Eric say, any RB on a 53. So if these guys are on a team, I want them, especially if we're looking at lineup leagues. But 2020, there ended up being 10 running backs in my top four tiers. 21, there were only eight. 22, once again, only eight. So those three classes combined – there's about 26 running backs that ended up in my top four tiers. So any the tiers that I actually want to pick from. Currently in 2023, there's 21 alone. So that's 21 guys that I will be happy to take on any of my dynasty rosters. And that's just showing you how much depth there really is to this class. And yes, we have the 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 heavy hitters at the top with Bijan and Gibbs and the weight for Gibbs really doesn't scare me too much because of the way he plays and really, I mean, really just he, he's done it three years handling a pretty decent workload, especially in the SEC this last year at Bama. So that, that weight, the, end, the, the numbers say the hit rate under guys or running backs under 200 pounds aren't great, but, you know, if, if somebody's going to do it, it's going to be somebody in the mold of Gibbs. So it really doesn't worry me too much there, but. You got guys like Tajay Spears, Kendra Miller, Charbonnet, who I really like, Bigsby. I mean, the list really goes on for this class. So like I said with the receivers, it's really only seven deep that I want for any of my teams. These running backs, we're going to the 17, 18, 19 range. I mean, sure, I'll take a Chase Brown. I'll take an Evan Hall on my team. If they're on a team and both of those two really are athletic for their size, so I mean, like they say, any RB on a 53 and I'll take them. Yeah, that's fair. And I think uh, what's interesting about this class is given the fact that the running back position is so devalued, probably more so than we've ever seen it ever um, in the dynasty community. I think what's polarizing about it is Bijan is still going so high. Like Bijan is so different, but I mean, he is going – uh, for keep trade cut anyway, uh, and this is just a, a pulse on values and stuff. He is only behind six quarterbacks, and then obviously Chase and uh, Jefferson. So, like, if you're telling me right now that Bijan is valued ahead of Lamar and Superflex, like to me that's just crazy, given the fact that we know that the running back position is not valued by the community as a whole. But because it's so devalued, I think the fact that we think he's so great it projects for people to be a, a separator from him and the rest of the pack by quite a bit. Uh, so, so that you have that side of it, right? But then you have, because the running back position is so devalued, and when we talked about this class being great, when a lot of the push was 23 is going to be it, you know, we had Gibbs, which at that time running back was more valued than 21. We had, you know, Tank coming off a good rookie season uh, and projecting to be someone that we continued to flourish. We had so much depth here. So so I think what's being lost is on the high end upside of Bijan. Sure. Like I'm I have my questions depending on where you're taking them in a startup or in rookie drafts, but that all 
is irrelevant because we, we know how good he is. But I think what's being lost is because of the fact that running backs are so devalued, you can get in the late second, third round running backs that are better prospects than people think that could totally fit a not only just a plug-and-play uh, spot start, but maybe in the right situation. We saw what happened with Damian Pierce. We saw what happened with Tyler Algier. These guys get in a situation where it's them and another guy. You know, there's a two-man backfield, two-headed, two-headed monster, and they either take over the backfield or there's an injury, and you see a big-time, big-time bump in value in Dynasty because of what they do on the field and the opportunities they're presented. So, so I think that point is actually something that is missed for a lot of people in the 23 classes. Yeah, you may not love the upside in the elite-level guys, but are you really understanding how much depth is here and the fact that these running backs all profile far above average, which means in the right scenario, their dynasty value could skyrocket. Yeah, I, I think you you brought up a really good point in regards to how running backs are valued. And I kind of questioned, I shouldn't say question, but I, I was talking with Scott very briefly on this the other day in the Heisman voice chat, and he brought up how Somebody messaged him on Twitter and said, "Hey, I really and this is this is just an example. So let me let me get out my one quarterback love here. But anyway, the guy was talking about his one quarterback league and saying, "I have the 101 and 102, and I really need running back. So even though I like JSN a little more at the 102, I think I'm going to go Gibbs." Well, well, Scott followed up and asked, "Okay, well, if you really need running backs, who do you currently have?" I, I want to say the the guy had Brees Hall, tr- Travis Etienne, will be taking Bijan Robinson at the one hundred and one, and then like a Jamal Williams is his four. So, did, does he really need running backs? I would say no. In a twelve team start two, he has arguably three when he'd be taking Bijan three of the top eight ish running backs in Dynasty. So I th- I think. And, and and this goes for me as well. I think we get kind of a little too involved or too, I don't know how to word this, but too focused on what we talk about a little bit too much in regards to, okay, we're trying to tear down from running backs as much as we can to try to pick up value in quarterbacks or, or receivers. But at the same time, I mean, you just said it. Bijan's the RB1. He's up there with all these guys in Superflex. He's the ninth overall player on Keep Trade Cut. I know we bash on KTC as much as humanly possible, but at the same time, this really is a decent gauge of how the community values players. So I don't really know if if what you said of the community devalues the running back position, I don't know if that's true. I think in our section of the world over here in dynasty degenerate world i I think you're right but as a whole i i don't i don't know how accurate that is i know there's guys out there that still love running backs so sure i I don't know it's 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 an interesting psychology experiment so obviously our our leagues are a little different than our home league so it's it's just fun to kind of talk in that sense well i think um you know jb it's interesting because I think you bring up a point, which is uh, something we talk about here, and I want to highlight and illustrate right now since it's uh, front of mind. In Dynasty Degenerates, you need to understand the differences in your league. 
you need to understand the difference is what that looks like, right? The settings, the format, how many we're starting. Is it best ball? Is it lineup? We, we talk about all this at length. Um, but then the big thing too is also understanding your league mates, right? And understanding, okay, are there guys that have shown their hand as far as willingness to buy running backs? Are, are there guys right now that are sending early seconds for Dalvin Cook and Aaron Jones? And, you know, uh, does that exist in your league? And you, you can have an idea of the way people still value the position. But I think one thing, JB, that's clear for me. Um, now, can there be a resurgence to a degree because of how good this class is? I think there's a, a absolute scenario there. But I, but I think what's interesting is if you just go to keep trade cut, which – I, I, Mike and I talk all the time and we, we like to clown it because of, I think how bad the algorithm is with trading and how exploitable it is, but. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and like, I know we've talked about it in the Heisman chat. I know there's guys out there that put in the wrong, put in the complete opposite of what they'd really do just to mess with it. And there's other guys that skip it. So I don't want to say it's it. I think it's a decent barometer of how the majority, but I'm, I'm with you. I mean, it's not the Bible per se whatsoever. No, I, I think it's a good tool just to understand the general thoughts on players and values, but For I also sure. think it's very exploitable. Like uh, right now it's a little more forgiving as far as there's not quite as much reaction. Now there still is reaction. You'll see uh, plenty of people here that move up way too much. Uh, whether you like him or not, and I've had disagreements with people on this channel on, on uh, Jordan Love. He's one of the bigger movers on this platform that is reactionary stuff because they think he's going to be the quarterback and all that. But because football's not being played, right? Like weekly on keep trade cut, what you'll see in season is that the performance they've had for a week in two weeks and three weeks, if you have a consistent performer for three weeks strong, that will totally ruin this algorithm of uh, the way people value things. But I, I still like to use it as a pulse as, as the general consensus um, just in rankings. Now, obviously that is give or take based on your league and why I'm telling everyone to, to think of it that way. But when I look at this, JB, and, and when you think about it, right, and we talk about how people are valued and what startups look like last year and what they are today. Okay, so just to t- if we took quarterback out of the mix, we'll, we'll go JB land. We'll go we'll go 1QB AAF league. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Alliance of American Football for those of you, if you know, you know, right? So Justin Jefferson and Chase are at one and two. Bijan, because he's so highly coveted, is at three. Then you go C- CD, AJ Brown, uh, Brees Hall, and then you got Garrett Wilson, Jalen Waddle, Jonathan Taylor, who literally just two years ago in the 2021 season, I watched people pay three to four first four. And I watched people say, What do I have to do to get JT in this year where he's killing? Like I, uh, Chase Plus. I watched crazy deals go down. Now, this may not be everyone here. I'm not telling you that you made this trade personally, Dynasty Generous. I'm just saying how much the market has shifted, right? Kenneth Walker is also up here. But but I think what I'm seeing is an artificial view of it because when we get past this, right? Now you got Amon-Ra, Alave, Higgins, DK, Smitty, Jackson Smith and Jigba is way high up here. Uh, you start in, inflating picks and Drake London and Tyree Kill and Diggs. The reason I say all this too, there's a couple things I want to mention about this. One, the running backs are still even pushed down here. But 
the ones that are propped up are the ones that people think have elite upside, bell cow usage in their potential, and are young enough to warrant this value. But but I think what's interesting is like when I at least in the leagues I play in, and I play in a bunch of leagues. Now let, let's admit um a lot of the patron leagues now are followers of mine, so they listen to what Mike and I say, so they're probably tainted in good ways and in bad. Let's call it what it is. And I play with Destination Tevi people. I'm in a few home leagues. What I've never seen, JB, what I have never still seen, and I have a bunch of shares. I had almost 50% exposure rate to Kenneth Walker because I was so in on him in the 22 class. I never saw when he was running back one, people sending multiple firsts for this guy, right? And, and I think that's the thing, right? You will you will see on Keep Trade Cut that Kenneth Walker is the top 12 asset when you take quarterbacks out. But here's what I can tell you. I've seen deals in Dynasty, which below him is Amon Ross St. Brown, Chris Olave, uh, even DK, where it's multiple firsts going for these type players. And, and I think that to me is where there's – part of the artificial view on Bijan. Now, here's the thing about Bijan, right? If the running back position is not that great and doesn't score that much in warp and Bijan is the top level talent and he's this young, if he's a positional cheat code and has two to three years of this, even four, okay, I get where the edge comes from. But like when Brees Hall got hurt, Brees Hall didn't go for what keep trade cut said his value retention was and is a top 10 12 dynasty asset like i've yet to see and and now maybe it's to your point what you're mentioning is like we play in sharper leagues and people that are tapped in and maybe on our side alone there's more push against the running back position but man it's just it's interesting because i have not seen those type of players go in deals where they're getting netting multiple first multiple liquid first whereas if you look at the receivers in this range, guys are begging to get Amon Ross St. Brown, even though the, a lot of the community is polarizing on him, right? They're not sure what to do with him because of JMO. Uh, you look at Jalen Waddle and guys in this range, and it's like people will sell their soul for that, but they don't want to take the risk on Kenneth Walker. They don't want to take the risk on Jonathan Taylor. So I guess that's kind of why I bring that up. Not necessarily that people hate running backs, but that the markets for them are very different. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Underdog! That's right. Destination Devi is now partnered with Underdog. It's an incredible opportunity, and you know my affinity for best ball. How about getting in those contests and taking down some of these big tournaments, getting that best ball money. And right now, if you sign up with promo code 4DCHESS, you'll get a 100% deposit match up to the first $100. And the best part is Destination Devi Discord will be free to you for a year. You will get access to all the strategy that we will be talking about as far as taking down some of these tournaments and the best ball tools that will come with it. What a perfect marriage. Destination Debbie, 40 chess, underdog, best ball, say less and sign me up. Now back to the show. Yeah, no, I mean, you make a lot of, a lot of good points there and kind of Tying this back into the 23 class, if possible, trying to segue that back here. I think with 
the devaluation of let's just say the higher end running backs probably and and this might be wrong so feel free to call me out i think it kind of scrunches together the value of those lower running backs it might even value them a little higher just because obviously in most leagues you need to start two running backs so that's 24 running backs you need to start if you're if you're not looking at flex spots that being said if these if these higher end guys are lowering their values i think the mean of running back values as a whole probably needs to stay pretty consistent so if we're looking at guys like a Sean Tucker and Izzy Abaconda, Roshan Johnson, if we can get some of those guys, even though they're going to be backup running backs in that mid, late second round, I, I think those are great dart throws we can throw just because if the guy in front of them gets hurt, they're going to step into a role. And, and based on their profiles, they're looking pretty good. If they get a starting position, even if it's for – three, four, five weeks, that's a that's a running back you can start confidently rolling out there. So I think, like I said, to bring that full circle, th- this this class is a lot of a lot of those running backs, especially if you can get them in the early third. I mean I talked about 21 running backs in my top four tiers and gladly take at least 17, 18 of them. So yeah, some of those guys are gonna fall to Third round in a lot of leagues. I am throwing as many darts at running back as I can in this twenty-three class. I'm I'm with you on that, and I think uh, regardless, I, I well, the reason I brought all that up, it, it 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 was to tie back into the fact that because I think people are looking for that elite running back and the difference maker, they're kind of overlooking the fact that this class presents a lot of values at running back that maybe day one don't step into a you know, crazy workload, but they have the potential to, and they have the skills to. And if you look at Kenneth Walker, who's going to probably have better draft capital than a lot of guys in this class, he was someone that was devalued just because of landing spot. Uh, This is not a good offense, right? There is guys in front of him, Rashad Penny and and Chris Carson. And we, we listened to this narrative for weeks until all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's the Kenneth Walker show. And I think, I will say I don't necessarily believe that all these guys have that range of outcome, but I think that there are plenty of guys in this class that in the right situation could end up with a 60% workload minimum or north given the right circumstances, but you're drafting them here, and this is why I talk about how the values of running back aren't good because it's reflected in the 23 class as far as you in the late rounds of the second and the third might get a guy that could have a Damian Pierce type ascension, a Tyler Algier type ascension. That I think is where you have to understand that just because the market today is here doesn't mean that you can't exploit it and doesn't mean it can't change. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm totally with you there. And maybe a little bit of a galaxy braining on my end with the whole RB value, all that fun stuff. Let's but, hear it, man. This is 4D chess. We no, want to hear the no. galaxy brain. And I I already said it with the kind of the the because of the higher end running backs being devalued, the let's just call them the lower lower tiered running backs getting the the value increases just because you need you need something to to, to bridge that gap. You know, I mean e- even somebody Kenneth Walker last year I wasn't the the highest on I should have been 
but I wasn't. And I needed some talking to you. I know you and Mike talked me into drafting him. And I want to say the sixth round of a startup or fifth round of a startup in one of my leagues. I'm like, do I take him? It's only half PPR, this and that. And you're, you guys are like, just shut up and hit draft. And I did. And pretty happy with that selection. So I appreciate that. But no, this this running back class, I, I really, really think it has the potential not necessarily to give us some of these high-end running back ones. I mean, Bijan's going to be up there pretty much as as bulletproof as you can get. Gibbs is going to be up there. But these these running back twos, there's going to be a lot of them in this class. Yeah, I'm with you there. And I, obviously, Bijan, I think – what what's weird about him is I think there is still value retention built in, but I just don't know if it's actually liquid, right? Like I think even if he got hurt or didn't play the greatest this year, as far as being a, a warp difference maker, he's still going to be valued as like RB1 next year or RB2. It's just the name of him, the name cachet is so stupidly different. So I get all that. Um, but I don't think necessarily that it's liquid as, okay, He's only behind Jefferson and Chase, and will he actually fetch that value? I could be wrong. Uh, it's just my uh, thinking of it. And um, by the way, on Kenneth Walker, man, listen, I'm, I'm I'm happy we could help a friend. You know, I'm just happy that you know it's like uh, who wants to be a millionaire? You, you phone a friend, and, and we, we we came through. Um, we missed a lot, so I'm glad you didn't phone a friend on the on the wrong deal. But uh, <laughs> let me let me say this too. Let let let's get to the upfront discussion. Cause we, we kind of talked about how the first seven is a tier break, but I, I am curious your thoughts here and l- l- let's go ahead for an analytic guy, address the elephant in the room, JB, a guy that doesn't check analytic boxes at all. At the quarterback position, he does project to get very high in draft capital. He does from an analytic perspective, have elite and, um, that, that that word is actually kind of being used mildly because he's the most athletic quarterback we've ever seen. So let, let, let me start with uh, the quarterback position and what is the most troublesome, troublesome for a lot to evaluate. JB, talk to me, man. Anthony Richardson, where are you at? What are your thoughts? Shoot us straight. Shoot the, shoot the dynasty degenerate straight, man. So oddly enough, and I found this very interesting in – when I was creating these models this year, quarterbacks are actually the quarterback model I have is actually the strongest of all of my models. So my pre combine grade that's before athletic testing, which yes, it matters for quarterbacks, obviously before the draft as well, that out projected draft capital alone. So I don't know what I did or what number I pressed or, Maybe I pressed the wrong one, but my pre-combine grades are better at predicting fantasy success than draft capital alone. So that being said, I'm very confident in my quarterback model. And like you said, Richardson, his passing metrics are straight up not very good. Best season, ESPN QBR of 70.6 puts him in the lowest scoring tier there. Best season, PFF passing grade of 70.5 also in the lowest. And then one more that is more heavily weighted is career touchdown interception ratio of 1.6, also in the lowest scoring tier. However, his best season rushing yardage share, which the Konami code is a real thing. And 
the rushing yardage share is very heavily weighted in my model. It's it's off the charts. I mean, twenty five point one is an incredible. I mean, that's that's quarter of his team's rushing yards. You you can't really reproduce that to the levels of somebody like him. I mean, the the arm strength and the ability is there, and I think if somebody can can hone that in, and I I I I'm an internal optimist, so I think. And I want to believe that somebody can truly hone everything he has, and help him help him help him become a good, uh, let's just say, average passer. If he can do that, it it's wheels up. I mean, right now he is behind a lot of guys in this class right now, but when it's all said and done, he will be uh, he he's for sure going to be in my tier one with Stroud and Young. And whatever order you want to put him in, go for it. I'm not going to argue against it. Because if if somebody like an Anthony Richardson hits, it, it's top five quarterback in fantasy. I mean, we just saw it with somebody like a, like a Jalen Hurts. If, if best, better example is Justin Fields. His passing this year, not great. But the ability that he has on the ground elevates everything fantasy related to the skyrocket level. So... If you take Anthony Richardson as your number one quarterback, and even I know some people are talking about 101. I don't know if I'm that risky, but I I, I don't know. I, I think he has a legitimate case to be the 102 in super flex formats, and I'm not going to blame anyone for saying that. Yeah, I think uh, what what what's interesting about it, right? Um, and And if you think about this, you look at okay, Josh Allen, right? And curious your thoughts here because Josh Allen was, I think, a polarizing one for a lot of people. And I remember vividly, I wasn't creating content, but people that I would watch, people that I would listen to, very, very much pushback on Josh Allen. The fact that he doesn't project to be the passer, he's not this guy, and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, JB, we're looking at after the Stephon Diggs trade, a guy that skyrocketed in uh, completion percentage was an alpha, became a totally different quarterback. And I think part of the the thing that I think is hard for people to get their minds wrapped around in really discussing the conversation you just brought up, right? So, okay, yes, uh, he's going to check the bottom levels of completion percentage, of passing, but we look at what did he have to work with at Florida? How long did he actually play? This guy has not seen a ton of reps. Um, and, and I think the other thing, too, is like we look at Josh Allen, right? Getting back to that point. So Josh Allen's playing at Wyoming, man. And I can tell you right now, that level of competition is not just different than the SEC. They're different worlds. Right, like it's you talk about the levels we play in here in Dynasty, right? The the people we could play with, if you're in a home league, if you're in a sharp league, like the SEC is a very, is the sharpest of leagues, and Wyoming is playing in the home league. But what I can tell you too is, like, if you look at completion percentage for Josh Allen at Wyoming, and you look at completion percentage for Anthony Richardson in the SEC, which not a lot of weapons on offense, but then you talk about the rushing upside versus the best, the best athletes in the country. 
This is, I think, one of the biggest differences here. Josh Allen was drafted to a team that was good enough, and then went with the Diggs trade, it kind of unlocked them, right? But Anthony Richardson, I think what people don't realize is he doesn't have to actually be a good quarterback to have a decent fantasy floor. And I think sometimes, because it's dynasty, right? If it's a season-long sprint, right? If we do redraft, if we talk redraft for a second, people will draft the Konami code guys without fear at all. They will go high. Like you talk one quarterback redraft, they will go as soon as quarterbacks start going off. They'll take the risk. They don't care. But because it's dynasty, it's like all of a sudden now we have to have this quarterback play for 10 years, 12 years. Who who even cares about windows that big? Like it's just silly to me because here's the thing. Anthony Richardson's floor, if the team that he goes to is bad and maybe he's, he's a horrible completion percentage passer, which he's proven to be uh, in his small career in, in college, that could all check out. But even then he could still be like, I mean, as the most athletic quarterback, like he could give you Justin Fields level upside on the ground, which was quarterback five this year. That's not a bad scenario. What if the guy had a couple years of development? What if he went to a team where he could sit for a year? Then he came in and he played his second year, had some moments where he was uh, learning and developing, and then they actually brought in an alpha. And you look at Jalen Hurts, you look at Josh Allen, you look at some of these guys. When we talk about what we want, in an elite level quarterback, right? Patrick Mahomes is in his own tier because he doesn't have the crazy Konami code that the other guys do, but he's such a passer that you take Tyreek away from him, he's still that good. You got Joe Burrow who's attached to really good receiving weapons as a thrower, right? Not He can run, but he's not like a Konami code guy. But then you look at all the other guys in the top, the top end quarterbacks. I mean, who are they? They're Jalen Hurts, Konami code. There's Josh Allen, Konami code. I mean, you, you, I'm just, my point here, Dynasty DeGeneres, is you're going to go down this list and see they are all Konami code guys. Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields. It, to me, the crazy part is we are trying to look forward three, four, five years when the quarterback landscape is so bad. What if he only gave you two great years? Why couldn't that be good enough for your fantasy teams, let alone the, the fact that there's upside of way more? So um, I'm th- none of that is trying to, by the way, shit on or say that you know C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young can't be anything in the NFL either. But I, I don't think that they, if they hit, to your point, J.B., have anywhere near the level of upside that an A. Rich has if he does hit. Yeah, I'm... 1000% with you. The way I play in, inherently you to win a league, you need to get lucky and you need to hit for the most part, the ceiling of what your team is capable of. So just using the comparison of let's just say CJ Straw, Bryce Young are going to give you Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins numbers and Anthony Richardson is going to give you something like a Justin Fields. Who would you have rather had this year? Yeah, I think that I think that's pretty, pretty straightforward. Most of us probably rhetorical have just question by JB. By the way, rhetorical question by JB. I like that. Yeah. So, I mean, a good good phrase for what both of us are probably gonna gonna say here is, "I'm here for a good time, not for a long time." There so if, if these if these guys can give you two three years of potential 
20-plus point per game at the quarterback position with a little bit of passing and mostly rushing, awesome. Yes, give me it. I, that's that's what we need to win leagues. Yes, it's not going to give us longevity of a, a Dak or a Kirk or guys that sticking around for seven, eight years, giving us 16, 17 points per game. But at the same time, are those guys really – I mean, we, we love talking about warp here. I, I haven't gotten too into the warp, I, I my own fault. But at the same time, those 17, 18-point guys, they're not really giving us the warp that the guys who are spiking like a fields really are. So, you know, it's – like I said, I, he, the, he, Richardson's going to be in that top tier with me. And if you put him one, I think he might end up being my one just because of how I play. And I don't blame anyone for doing the same, seriously. I mean – he can if he can give us like you said if he sits out a year cool awesome redshirt your first year come in your second third fourth year give us some big years awesome I'm all for it yep I I, I agree with you there um so we got the elephant out of the room um l- let's go ahead and get through the other three quarterbacks for you JB uh to to kind of finalize this podcast but also um. Your, your process with the quarterback position, the landscape is really bad, right? So so this class does pose four very likely first-round guys and, like, like you already mentioned, a fifth and hooker. So I'm kind of curious, analytic-wise, uh, what we see in the prospects, how you play the game of Dynasty. What are you doing with them? How high are you taking them? What do you see for these guys? So just to start off the top, Bryce Young – it's like I said with Richardson, he's probably going to be our one. Young's probably going to be my two. He graded incredibly and sits in my diamond tier. And for for those, I, there's only been seven diamond tier quarterbacks since 2014 for me. And on average, they they're, they're giving me 19.6 points per game. And this is in I believe it's four point touchdowns, negative two interceptions. So very high. I mean. You're looking, like I said, 19.6 points per game. My tier two is given 15.5, so about a four-point difference there. And then tier three is 11.2, so another four-point drop-off there. So these diamond tier quarterbacks are really coveted, and I mean, that they give us the optimal output. So he's going to probably be my two, and then Stroud will be my three. But like I said, any any of those guys, I'm not going to falter you for putting at the top, but if if you have Will Levis anywhere in your top three, I will blame you. I, he he is not somebody I I'm gonna end up probably gonna end up with a lot of him just because of where my picks land. But he is he is the last of that top tier for me. He is he is seven of seven. His analytics do not check out very well. They're almost pretty much as bad from a passing standpoint as Richardson, and he does not give that immense rushing upside that Richardson does. I mean, 76.8 best season QBR, 82.3 best season PFF pass grade, 1.8 touchdown interception ratio. I mean, the, these aren't great numbers. They really aren't. And and something I know he gets comp to Josh Allen a bit too, but one thing Josh Allen had in college was this metric that PFF has called big time throws. And that metric is measuring how many times they throw a ball with excellent ball location and timing. So 
generally, and, and this is one of the metrics I look at as well for quarterbacks, generally, if you have a higher number there, that means you're doing something pretty good. Most of these throws are downfield, good timing, in a good window, whether it's caught or not. I don't know if PFF measures it that way, but the the ball was there. Will Levis, his best season big-time throws is 15. Out of all, all of the throws he has in a year, let's just say, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but anywhere between 300 and 400 throws, he's only given us 15 big-time throws. That's his best season. That's not very good. I mean, that's literally the lowest in this class. you got guys like Tanner McKee at 17, Malik Cunningham at 18, who's at an Anthony Richardson. He's at 19. So despite his, I guess, faults for a big a thrower, same conference, he had, I know it's only four, but he had more big-time throws. So I, I, I know I'm being long-winded with this, but Will Levis does not grade out well for me, and the draft capital is really going to be the only thing that saves him. Interesting. Um, so you basically hate everything about his profile. Outside of if he does get top fifteen, top ten draft capital. Honestly, yes. Okay, I do. that's fair. I, I mean, really do. I think the I, let me say this. I think the the majority of the community actually that is uh, very tapped in agrees with you. Um, I think what makes it polarizing is like. Let me ask you this from an analytic perspective too, right? Because I, I think one of the hardest things for people to wrap their minds around is that whether it's analytics, whether it's uh, community perception, like we, we miss, man, we miss at this position. It is, I think personally the hardest to look at and digest all the things that go into it and say, this is what makes a great quarterback because we have been wrong over and over and over again about quarterbacks, whether it's, we think they're going to be great Trey Lance or, we think they're going to be bad, right? Uh, you know, Justin Herbert didn't go to almost the end of the first round. Uh, Josh Allen. So, so I'm kind of curious your thoughts here. I know he's really bad analytically. Um, some of the guys that we missed on earlier, is there is there a scenario for you where the, their analytics were similar and then also that maybe the analytics for what his situation was could be wrong as far as what his dynasty value could become. I, I guess because here's the truth, JB, that's the only scenario for him that makes him a value, right? Is draft capital and that the fact that we're wrong on what we think of uh, all those stats, because otherwise we, we all know it's not going to work. Yeah. And, and while you were talking, I kind of plugged in pseudo draft capital over here. So the way my quarterbacks, <clears throat> excuse me, the way my quarterbacks I measure draft capital is by overall selection. And that, like I said, is in scoring buckets. So top 12 pick, I'm assuming he's going to get, that that bumps him up from my silver tier to my gold tier. However, the when I'm just looking at my gold tier quarterbacks, and this only goes back to 2014, he he will, if he does get that draft capital in the top 12 picks, he will be the only quarterback in my gold tier that has had under a 7.0 pre-combine grade. So I, I know a lot of that doesn't make any sense to you guys. And, and quite honestly, I mean, looking at, looking at the numbers very quickly here, it, it makes half sense to me. 
uh, kind of try to translate it for people. Yeah, exactly. So, yep. So the only thing, the big takeaway here is that he would essentially be an outlier. So the pre-combine grade, everybody else on here is looking at least halfway decent where he's so low that the only saving grace for him is that draft capital. And that alone makes him an outlier in my model. So even if he hits, it's it's not really a bet I'm willing to take. Interesting. Okay, so ba- basically for you, given everything that we know since 2014, he, he, he even exceeds that. So for you, if he hits, it's just not worth the risk of if he misses. Yeah, honestly, I mean, he's the, the closest comparable for him, at least analytically, would be somebody like a Paxton Lynch. I mean, he, wow. he kind of had somewhat of a similar pre-combine, post-combine, and then post-draft metrics, at least score for me. So, I mean, the company he's in is not very good. It's Paxton Lynch, Josh Rosen, Jordan Love. It It's not great. I get it, man. I think uh... – what I've seen around Will Levis is the sediment of people that feel and and view things the way that you're telling us here with analytics, but maybe not necessarily having uh, those windows of metrics to explain it. And I think for the quarterback position, right, I think the way things are viewed, and, and to summarize this, and JB, if you have any, any different – thoughts or discussions, please uh, interject them after I'm done here. Anthony Richardson, I think, is one of the most troublesome for everybody, and and they're going to push process to the test because of the the passing issues convoluted with how outrageous the rushing upside can be for fantasy, at least should be the, the conundrum there. I think with uh, CJ, right? People want to put him in this like basic profile that basically he is a uh, elite passer as far as accuracy goes. He is a guy that has been afforded uh, the best pass catching weapons at Ohio State. That we all understand how valuable they are. Whether it's Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison Jr., who's going to be in the twenty four class. So you put the fact that they think he's kind of basic and built up by all this offense and these weapons, and they 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 act like it's basically a safe quarterback that doesn't have upside um my pushback with him would be that like I don't know what you want to see out of him in a bigger moment that he's never played in versus Georgia where he basically outplayed uh Georgia on offense but it comes down to a kick and the fact that uh, let's call it what it is Ryan Day's an idiot and they they end up having this kick that's way too deep for what they did and this is with Marvin Harrison Jr. sitting on the sideline with the concussion protocol for a long part of the second half and he showed rushing upside so I guess for me my biggest pushback with CJ is all of those things because a lot of people say Georgia's defense is wrongly so they'll say that it's a NFL caliber defense I mean it's great right it's the best in college but it's not an NFL level point is he did great versus that in that scenario, I don't know what you want out of him more. So I, I don't think that we are quite acknowledging uh, that he has some upside too. Maybe not a rich as far as rushing, but he has some upside himself. I think Bryce Young is another one that's really crazy because if this guy, let's say, is six foot one, even like let's say he's two a size, we're having a totally different conversation about Bryce Young. I think a lot of people are right, and I think the scare for people is just sheerly coming down to size. Um, 
No, I get it too, right? We're talking about Kyler Murray, and people are scared of him and with the injury he's going through and the stuff around him. I, I understand the size concerns. You know, Tua's – even we talk about Tua, there's a uh, – is he stature-wise enough because there's all the injury concerns around him and being banged up. But I think Bryce Young – you know, there's a risk there, but like to act like there's no upside with him either, I think is a little bit um, silly because we've seen quarterbacks ascend past him that don't necessarily even have his profile. So, so I think the reality too is CJ Stroud and Bryce for a lot of people feel more safe, but I think they do possess more upside than we want to admit. I think a rich has wild upside, but does not have a safe floor. And I think will Levis absolutely has a terrible floor. Like if we're keeping it hundred percent really is an awful floor. But I think that the thing with him is he is going to be an outlier if he hits. And I think we have to at least acknowledge because of the draft capital that that world exists. You don't have to love him, but I think that at a certain point, given this class's lack of elite options, he becomes, you just have to take him because of super flex values. Um, so I'm kind of curious if there's any differences for you at the quarterback, given those thought processes. And then uh, last thing I will say is the final one to wrap this up, JB. Walk us through the QBs, anything you had furthermore on that. And then last thing I want to know is give everybody here a sleeper of JBs, whether it's analytics or not. I want to know a sleeper, uh, a four round, around late three or, or four that people aren't giving enough hype to. So I think you hit the nail on the head with all the quarterbacks. While you were talking, I was kind of looking at some of the the pure passing metrics on here, and C.J. Stroud is the best in the class by far. I mean, his – like you said, yes, he had the weapons, he had everything, but when when it came time to play the number one team in the country without your all-world receiver, he showed up. And the only real knock against him in my model is the rushing. And, I mean, we saw it with Justin Fields. Ryan Day just doesn't want his quarterbacks to run. That he doesn't. If they need to, they can. And I think we saw that with Stroud in, in the uh, semifinal game. So I don't think that's really a knock against him. He just doesn't have the the production to show for it. So I, th- I think he hit all four summations of all four quarterbacks pretty well. The top three, pretty good ceilings, a little bit of a scary floor with, with Richardson. But Will Levis will be a – at least from an analytical standpoint, an outlier if he hits sure. kind of any type of top threshold. So I think we, we cover the quarterbacks, and I think we're in lockstep on pretty much the top four there. Okay. All right, then. Uh, I'm glad to hear that because I am not a guy that sits in front of the spreadsheets and has the analytics, but I'm glad to hear that JB's in agreement. So, JB, to, to help the Dynasty Degenerates who have heard probably at nauseum a lot about this class, right? Let's try to give them, for you anyway, a, a deep dive. Somebody that JB's like, you know what? When we get to value range, right? Late three, even fourth or fifth round, it can be anywhere there. Somebody that's not being respected enough that you think actually has, whether it's analytics or in, in just dynasty value and upside, someone you want to shoot your shot on. So I think uh, I think it's... Probably not the biggest secret as I've seen him getting a lot more hype as of late. And I don't think I was very vocal about this guy, but somebody that really pops for me is Michigan State's Jaden Reed. 
So he will end up being Love about it. 23 when he's drafted. So he's not an early declare, which is a little bit of a knock in my model. However, his best season yards per team pass attempt of 2.56 is very good. He does have a breakout age of 18.3, which is extremely good as well. And one thing that I really love to see in receivers is to have you hit a 30% dominator. And for those of you that don't know, dominator dominator rating is essentially the percentage share of your team's passing offense, which is measured in receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. So, for example, 30% dominator means you accounted for 30% of your team's receiving yards and receiving touchdowns within a year. So, like I said, I really want to see a receiver hit that 30% mark or higher in either their year one or year two. And Jaden Reed did that. So, I'm, I am I really like him. There's really nothing to like other than him being a little older and him not being an early declare. But other than that, it, it analytics look very good. And I think he could be a very sneaky third, potentially even fourth round pick. I love what I'm hearing because, uh, you know, JB, I am in a bunch of leagues. And, you know, we, we dropped really, really early. And um, I'm currently in a – it was a startup that's now a rookie draft, so we drafted placeholders, right? And uh, – in the fourth round, I'm at the 405, and I'm looking at all the options, and I just took a certain gentleman by the name of Jaden Reed, and I feel very good about it. And um, I'm really glad to hear you say that immediately after I took him. Uh, let me ask you this then. Um, last question, because Jaden Reed's your guy. Where are you at with Rakeem Jarrett in the sleeper range? Let's talk about this from an analytic perspective, and, and yours too. Yeah, I mean, he was a guy that I – my first Debbie league, he was a receiver I really liked. And unfortunately, I don't think he really ever, I don't want to say did much, but he really didn't do much in college. Sure. Yeah, pretty, pretty decent breakout age at 19.6. But the other metrics that I look at are pretty average across the board. You know, a career weighted dominator of 17.2. Best season PFF receiving grade of 75 only. Average reception share. So through his three years, he only commanded 16.4% of his recep- of the team's receptions through the three years. So, you know, he, he was really somebody that I wanted to, to be good coming into college. I thought Maryland was a good spot for him, but it just really hasn't panned out for him. And I wish him all the best, but right now he's it's not looking very good for him. So let me ask you this, because uh, what it sounds like for me when you talk about that, like, cause this is a guy that's a five-star recruit, high, highly touted. Now, COVID season, I think this is part of the issue that I have with a lot of the early breakouts we're looking at right now. Like, he played four games in this uh, rookie breakout year, right? So, like, I, I feel like there's a there's a sense of like, can we pump the brakes on calling a breakout in four games that we in a COVID year? But nonetheless, that that's what it is. But what I'm hearing from you is that you're like his target share that he earned in college on a bad team was a a knock, right? Relative to like uh, what you view him as. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the metric I was specifically was looking at in front of me was reception share, but that essentially goes hand in hand with targets. So, I mean, he, he split the field with Dante Demas, who is another receiver in this class, but you know, 
we we've seen a bunch of receivers share the field with other guys and, and they've been able to at least be those two command most of the offense or at least one of them breaks off and neither of these guys really did that and i don't know if it's a, a product of maryland's offense but at the same time we're looking at the share of a team's percentage here so it's not like because the the team's offense is bad their metrics are hurting this is a this is a market share within their own offense and it just never really clicked for either of them and like i said i was i was a big fan of jarrett coming in i know i follow some other Debbie guys that like him a lot but it just really never worked out for him gotcha um i don't know if you uh you know i'm sure you did by the way i'm last week we talked uh matt brunin and i a little bit about you know Rakeem Jarrett and I'm kind of curious your thoughts because as we were walking through some stuff um, we talked about guys that were highly highly touted talents and showed the ability even still after not performing in college um, the ability that we saw athletically that they still had you know these type of traits and, and specifically when we talk Maryland like Stefan Diggs comes immediately to mind because Stefan Diggs was the he was the number one receiver in his class in high school and he stayed home. He went to Maryland and did honestly like, uh, when we look at, you know, college target share, 20th percentile, what he did for his team for three seasons in college was nothing. Um, Minnesota kind of took him at value in the fifth round. I believe it was, um, it took him a little while. Obviously, you know, they, they ran the Kevin Stefanski led offense, 12 personnel it was him and Thielen. Uh, he started to really come along well, then ask for a trade, he goes to Buffalo, the rest is history, right? And, and then I think about, like, obviously that's a high-end comp. Uh, now, Stephon Diggs and Rakeem Jarrett, not only do they have that Maryland theme and the college stuff, they're very similar. But when you look at, like, their athletic profile, I mean, they're, they're running the 40 in .02 seconds. Uh, the speed score is very similar. Rakeem has a better burst score. It, it reminds me of similar things because Rakeem Jarrett was a very, very highly recruited wide receiver in this class. And then now it's a different player style, right, with, with DPJ, but a guy that was, again, you know, very highly recruited in uh, his class, all the athletic upside, went to a school that wasn't best for him as far as the passing game in Michigan, um, went in the sixth round, took him a while to come, al- come along, nowhere near the hit of Stephon Diggs, but the athleticism finally proved valuable. Um, and that was without even Watson playing for the large majority of the season. So I'm just curious for you, like obviously those are uh, wishing well for Rakeem Jarrett, but do you, do you see a scenario where maybe the talent for him outweighs what he's put on the field? And like in the fourth round, would you take a shot? Or do you think that for him, it's just different because there are so many other options in this class you'd rather take? You know, I think if you're getting to that fourth round, if he's still on the board, I got no problem with you taking somewhat relying on that prospect pedigree coming out of high school as as at least a foundation to base that pick on. I, I'm totally with that. But, I mean, if if you're I – know, I know it's somewhat of hyperbole here, but if you're comparing him to Stefan Diggs, I think there's so much of a difference there just because Diggs – Diggs was almost a poster child of analytics, to be honest. I mean, he had 18.8, 30% breakout, 30% dominated breakout age, so 95th percentile 
had that breakout season of 30% by year two. I mean, across the board, analytically, he he was just so much better of an, at least of an NFL prospect than Jarrett. But I mean, if, if you're looking at fourth round, there's a lot worse darts you can throw. I said this with uh, Bruni, and, and I want to say it again here. I, I'm with you, by the way. Um, like, l- let me just make sure that I'm not saying that Rakeem Jarrett is the level of prospect specifically coming out of college that Diggs was, right? Um, I, and I also think that part of the breakout age that people were really excited about worries me because it was such a small sample size. Um, obviously, the breakout age for Diggs and Jarrett are a little different, but they're both pretty good. Um when I look at the college dominator, obviously that's where it's very different. I, I do think that there's a scenario where Rakeem Jarrett as an athlete and what we think of him can give you value. Now, if you expect Stefan Diggs or you, you utilize that as a reason to take him in the fourth round, fine, in the fourth round, like if you want that type of upside. But please do not get it misconstrued that there's a reason that he's going in the fourth round and there's a ton of holes here, but if we're going to talk about sleepers and reasons, I think here's the thing with Raheem Jarrett for me personally. One, I need to know what the league is. JB, let me talk about this for a second in Dynasty Degenerates with this guy specifically. If it's a lineup, start nine, start 10, probably out, probably out. And not that he can't hit. I just don't want to wait and see while he's just clogging a spot on my team for possibly years with no upside, right? Uh, If I'm in a best ball league and I'm in the fourth round, I'll absolutely take a shot. Now, I'm with JB. I'll take Jaden Reed ahead of him. But if we get to mid-fourth and there's not much left or we get to late fourth, I'll take my shot here. You know, it's a guy that still has a pretty good athletic profile, obviously has gigantic holes in his game as far as what we look at analytically and – there was times I think he looked very raw as a route runner, and I think there's 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 plenty of scenarios where this guy completely flops. But in best ball and in this range, like I'll flop for Raheem Jarrett. Like I, I will absolutely miss. Okay, yeah. What are you gonna take guaranteed value at four oh eight, four ten, four twelve? Maybe maybe Jarrett misses. Uh, he probably does if I'm gonna keep it real. But I can tell myself a story that says okay, if he hits. Maybe I can sell this guy. Maybe he's just worth a wide receiver 10, 12 spot on my team in best ball. But I also think, too, when you get to this range and when we talk sleepers, JB, and Dynasty DeGeneres to wrap this up, Jaden Reed and Rakeem Jarrett, I think, are much better suited for my teams when I'm in the fourth round of a, a best ball league than if I'm in a shallow lineup league. So, uh, you know, 4D style. Make sure you're thinking about your league when you're looking at the sleepers. Because in the fourth round, truthfully, if I'm in a, a lineup shallow league and it's tight end premium, I'd rather shoot my shot on all the tight ends than these guys. I'd rather, even if I had to take a shot on, you know, Eric Gray. And even though he may be completely worth nothing, if he finds himself in a situation where he ends up even for five, six weeks being the lead back, who knows what his value is and what he can get, do to my team. Whereas I'm probably not likely to put uh, Jaden Reed or Rakeem Jarrett into my lineup. So, uh, Dynasty Degenerates, think about those things. JB, man, it was awesome getting you on. We, this has been a long time coming. I know we've talked about getting you on here 
for a few weeks. We finally made it happen. Uh, this is a guy that's now as busy as ever. He's guesting everywhere. He's, he's a star show. Everywhere he goes, he's got his own podcast. So just getting him on here was a, uh, a chore, but I'm glad we got him on. JB, uh, appreciate you. If you have anything you want to plug other than just who's next or whatever, uh, feel free to do so before we get out of here, man. Yeah, I, I appreciate you having me on here. I know you've you've messaged me the past few weeks trying to get me on here, and things just haven't lined up. So decided, yeah, let's let's get on here before big big life changing event next week. So yeah, I always love being on here, man. whether it's whether it's with 4D or anything you and Mike are doing over at South Harmon. I, I love 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 talking with you guys, and you you two are one of my best best friends in this industry. So I, I got nothing to plug, man. I mean. Destination Debbie, that's that's really it. I'm I'm a very selfless guy. Go follow everybody else that puts out much better work than me and maybe follow me at the end. But that's that's all I got. So thank you for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. Glad you were hopping on, man. Uh the humility, man. The guy with the brand new podcast, got a lot going on for himself and you know, plugging everyone else. We we appreciate that, man. And um J- JB, let me let me just say this. He is a guy that I've known um, basically ever since getting into the Heisman tier at Destination Debbie back in 2021, uh, one of my good friends in the space. And I can tell you that while he is humble, he has a process that Mike and I value very strongly. So if you are tuning into this, I strongly suggest that, you know, you tune into the Destination Debbie newsletter, um, make sure you're looking to his stuff. He does all kinds of work. And I can tell you right now, I've seen some behind the scenes. He has a lot of good stuff going on for the Destination Debbie community. Uh, we are in good hands with JB. So JB, we appreciate you coming on. Um, before we get out of here, man, I, I do want to make sure that we plug. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot of best ball, and I just talked best ball strategy with you in Dynasty with Jaden Reed and Rakeem Jarrett, and the difference is there. If you're listening to this podcast, uh, I hope that you've already heard this, but I'm going to tell it to you again. We have a partnership with Underdog, Underdog Fantasy, and Underdog gives you – the ability to draft and learn ADP and learn all the drafting strategies way before the, the season comes around. And this is a redraft format, but if you think about all the best ball stuff we talk about here on 4D, you can apply that to underdog and help actually win, win a lot of money on the underdog side. Before we even talk about that and winning, we can also help you with our code 4D chess. Uh, use that promo code. If you do sign up to underdog fantasy as a first time user, you will get a 100% deposit match back. So if you decide to deposit $10, you want to do $10 towards Underdog, they'll give you 10 bucks back free when you use the promo code 40 chess. If you want to do 100, they'll give you 100 back. So if you do want to draft with us uh, on the South Harmon side, we will be doing all kinds of live drafts. You could draft with us. You can learn from us, uh, draft on the side. Uh, I know Destination Devi's already doing a lot of live drafts on the Underdog side. Um, so make sure you're using the promo code 4D chess for the underdog, um, platform. If you're interested in best ball drafts and winning some money with us, uh, that's all we got dynasty degenerates. So, uh, appreciate JB hopping on. Um, and other than that, just remember when your league mates are playing chess, play 40 chess.